Welcome to Critical Theory, the podcast. This is the Utopia 1313 edition, and my name is Bernard Harcourt. This year, at the Columbia Center for Contemporary Critical Thought, we are studying concrete utopias, solutions to our crises. The fact is, they surround us, often hidden in plain sight. And we need to see them now and actualize them, support them, grow them, empower them. It's time to roll up our sleeves and realize now, in real time, our concrete utopias. So this year at the center, uh, we're going to explore different experiments and models to reorganize society to address head-on our current crises, really existing, actually existing concrete utopias. There's no room this year for dystopias. We're too familiar with our present. We know its history. This year, we're going to write together a history of the future. We're going to be teaming up this year with WKCR, a radio station at Columbia University, working with Charlie Smith and Giselle Williams, who've put together remarkable conversations with some of the guests who've appeared at the Utopia 1313 public seminars at Columbia. In this session, Charlie Smith and Giselle Williams of WKCR interview Jocelyn Chukiyanki, a former Starbucks worker and a union organizer at the Starbucks out in Great Neck, New York. Jocelyn Chukiyanki was fired on July 27th after what she described as months of being targeted by managers, who she also claims caused the Great Neck store's April union vote to fail. While all 11 store employees initially signed petition cards for a union vote, the vote ultimately failed. She joins us uh, in a conversation that we had uh, at Utopia 1313 on uh, unionization, union organizing, and the future of work. It was a session in which we were joined by uh, Professor Alyssa Battistoni uh, from Columbia University. We have a separate podcast with uh, Professor Battistoni, as well as Dominic Walker, who is the electric chair of the Student Workers of Columbia Union and a PhD candidate in sociology, and Helen Zhao, who is a former elected member of the Student Workers of Columbia and a PhD candidate in philosophy. I encourage you to watch the public seminar on Utopia 1313 website. And meanwhile, let me turn it over to Charlie Smith and Giselle Williams at WKCR. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Jocelyn Chukiyanki, a union organizer at, who worked at Starbucks in, in Great Neck, New York. What originally drew you to the union? So, I mean, for the last seven years, you know, I had worked at Starbucks and I had, um, you know, I just had, I had seen like a lot. It was a really good, I mean, what I had originally thought it was and what um, the company was selling is that they were this really good progressive company and I should be happy with like the amount of pay I was getting because it was like not minimum wage it was like a couple cents to a dollar more than minimum wage and um basically they kind of were just you know writing themselves off as this very progressive good company and as i even in my first year at starbucks i had realized there were some things that weren't so good about the company so like 
in my first year there was like I know that one of the managers had been like shaving time off of our of our uh, hours so she would like so if we were to clock in from like 6 15 to I don't know 2 30 she would just kind of shave it off a little here and there and say we left earlier than we did or started later than we actually did and um that kind of stuff was ignored and even when um that they were you know called out on it or approached about it it was just met with retaliation so like when people had told me what was happening they would be like oh just say it like the computer made a mistake and it wasn't them because you don't want them to like get like um like retaliate against you because that's what happened to this person and so I was like okay and I had noticed that this was actually happening and like but at the time I guess I just didn't it didn't really like click (laughs) but um like just how wrong that was and I think that's like a big part of it is like they would take a bunch of people who were really vulnerable or just like really trusting or who really needed this job and just kind of you know exploit them it was like so okay and then you know as the years kept going different managers different people and a lot of it was the same I mean I had some I mean I have I've had like nine different managers and I've had some great managers but I mean overall I mean the the problems were more than just them it was more about like the starbucks itself and what their expectations were and to reach the um to reach the goals of those expectations just means that they would have to exploit workers and so um i guess this really made itself very clear during the pandemic during um covid we were all you know we all still had to work and we were given the option of um taking some time off and but but still it or like they would give us hazard pay but they would also limit the amount of hazard pay you got so i think in like in a course of a year i had to quarantine like seven to eight times and they were only offering to pay for like the first three times so and then after that i had to use um like my own vacation time or my sick time if i needed that time off and it was really like it was not as rough on me because this was not um this was something I had already built up. I had a lot of like sick hours, I had a lot of vacation hours, but there were people I worked with who were who were um you know they were not given the opportunity to uh, like accumulate that kind of time, so they didn't get paid for that time even though like Starbucks had said that they give hazard pay to everyone. But either way, so I saw a lot of these very, um, I, I just, I just get, I guess, just unfair treatments of workers. And every single time I complained to either HR or to upper management or anyone about the way we were being treated, um, there was no, there was no actual like solution there was no response or they or the response was to just like vilify me or make me seem like I was a problem twist my words and then um uh, like put me in a position where I was like this bad person this bad like employee and that um I just caused a problem and you know at some point I was kind of like you know what that was awful I never want to go through that again and um, I'm just going to leave it alone because nothing ever gets done. I just felt super defeated. But then once I saw that um, Buffalo had started their union campaign, I, you know, people started thinking. I started thinking. But it, I didn't really know what a union was. It was never 
something that I had um, been educated on. I never really like learned about what it was. Um, so when they were uh, forming their union, uh, we kind of just heard about it, but like didn't really start seriously talking about anything until they had won. And this was a really big problem for Starbucks. And then I started thinking, why is this a big problem for Starbucks? Why are they so upset about the, the union efforts in Buffalo and how they won? And so I decided to look up what it was. And I realized, hey, we really need a union. And I guess that's what really started it. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate hearing that the, the way you describe it, Starbucks would give workers some degree of they pay you a little bit more than minimum wage or they do this they do that and that kind of those little bits and pieces would give would give them leverage i guess to say you're not well we're giving you this so what what do you <laughs> what do you want right exactly like they are like oh but we're giving you this like look at all these shiny things like these are all yours would you really want to like give it up for something that is not so important when it really is just workers rights um so they would like do things like oh we have hazard pay and not everyone has hazard pay but then you would cap that even though like the reason why i was in contact with covid at all is because i was working at starbucks mm -hmm. like that's the I think of all the times I was exposed to COVID during uh, during two, like 2019 to 2022 was at Starbucks, with the exception of one time. <laughs> so um, to then be like, well, you can only like be in contact these first three times. And it's like you guys were not taking proper care of your staff. And now I'm. Um, I've been exposed. I have people in my life who are immunocompromised. You know, I have a family back at home. Like, this is, um, I felt really unfair. They they didn't care. But they did talk about all the shiny stuff that we do get. So, I guess, you know, my uh, a little bit above minimum wage was enough. And And so, into the kind of detail of it, how, where would those talks and this conversation between management and employees how would that work you know would they pull you into a back room and there'd be a presentation or i'm just sort of interested how they were filtering information down to the workers about all of this these shiny things that they might take away so for that it was um well first of all i don't think they had known that we had been talking about it yeah at first so when it actually started happening they, I had realized that um, people had been telling me that like the district manager was there on days that I was not there. And so I didn't see him as often, but I heard he was there um, um, a lot. So I had known that I, like I had seen him taking people on the days I was there, talking to people in the back and then start talking to people like like um, he would have like these things printed out from Starbucks, like these like um fact sheets about like unions where they were all like borderline just illegal facts of wow. where they would just be um saying things um like sometimes verbatim and then making like people read them or like making people read them and be like what does this mean to you and then kind of just manipulating the definition of what a union could mean for the employees at the store so they were very um 
just manipulative about it. They would um kind of just scare people. They would pick the reasons why people came to work because a lot of the people were new. Mm-hmm. Like um well, yeah, there was a, there was a good amount of new people and they would um they knew the reasons why they were there. They knew the reasons why they had um been hired at Starbucks. And they would kind of just like pick at those vulnerabilities like if you are to be in a unionized store, you can't get promoted. If you are um, in a unionized store, you can't transfer stores. You can't pick up shifts at another store. And they would, uh, you know, take what was important to people. You could t- have your health benefits taken away or I, I don't know what else. But um, they would say these things and then, um, you know, it would, it was just a way of getting the workers to real- to think that it was something bad for them and then on top of that they would um vilify me along with these they would then say that like oh if you were to be in a unionized store then you couldn't talk to the manager and you actually have to talk to jocelyn and she's the one in charge of your uh your availability and if you need time off she has to approve it which is like it puts me in a very weird position first of all i'm not the manager why would you say that this is not my responsibility and this is not a responsibility that i would be taking on if we did have a union but it just they made it seem like me being in charge would be like the most horrible and volatile thing ever and like it wasn't even true and like i would not want that (laughs) at all um so they would kind of and then they would say things like what I had heard from one of my coworkers is that they were implying that I was getting paid thousands of dollars to form a union down in um Great Neck they had said something to the effect of like oh you know that the organizers in Buffalo they didn't just wake up one day and want a union they were paid thousands of dollars by the union to form a union there and they would be like and I'm not and they were like implying that i was also getting like like you know this sum of money um and to to organize here which is wrong like i had been um calling corporate i had been talking to managers for years prior to this and um the co-workers that did know me that like um that had worked with in the past knew this so even though like i had just transferred over stores so i didn't really work with any of those people um when i had actually um when it was announced that uh we went public with our campaign i had a lot of support from the people who who knew who i was and who knew my character but the people at the store i had been in like um the dm um took the and the sm took the opportunity to really just um make me be a bad person it was very it was a very weird and um disgusting experience well yeah it sounds i mean to put it maybe too simply it sounds like a lot of mind games i guess it sounds like yeah honestly what starbucks is like from day one it's just a lot of manipulation a lot of mind games a lot of like well, like, I understand that you have to take off this day, but you're going to leave us short-staffed and it's going to be all your fault, kind of, if, if you're not here. Like, they just don't, um, it's always been, like, profits over people. Oh, and I actually heard this one really great thing from a barista in uh, New York City recently who told me that their manager says something like, um, 
sales cover sins or something like that. And I was like, wow, that is exactly what it is. Like they don't care as long as they don't care about worker safety, worker like um, um, anything. They don't care about the rights about workers if as long as sales and profits are being made. Yeah. Um, and this is something striking that we had actually discussed just before we started here about a a mismatch between what you're just saying about profits over people or, or sales sales solve sins or sales cover sins i think it was <laughs> yeah. or something like that um yeah. yeah and a mismatch between that and at the same time kind of a popular image of starbucks that i think many americans would have which is as a place to hang out a nice place where you get to sit um a place with generally liberal values i would i would guess and and also a place that is sort of famous in some ways for some of the benefits that it, that that will or that it advertises that it gives to its to, to its employees um so yeah i mean what what is that like living in that disconnect i guess between between um as a worker a a a company that is very much is working very hard to show that it, you know, that it loves you with scare quotes, I guess, and then the actual experience of maybe not being loved in the way that 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 you'd be expecting. So what's funny about it is like um, just to think about something like the company, or I think maybe Howard Schultz has said that these are people who are like uh, people who are like a third party whose voices are in, in the union is infiltrating Starbucks or something like this. Um, I was, it's really interesting because when I had first started working at Starbucks, I really loved the company. I really had thought that this was a progressive company. I thought that their, um, ethics were amazing. And I was proud to work for a company that really cared about, um, you know, workers cared about where their coffee is grown, cared about how, um, the customer experience and the barista experience have to be something that is like top tier, um, and so I really did have a lot of pride at first working for this company while I was like finishing school and, you know, X, Y, Z. But, um, you know, as as the years went by, I realized so much of it was so wrong. Like I did their coffee master program. I did, um, you know, everything I could. I really um, learned a lot from the company but then they would do things that just made no sense so for example when um all the stores shut down in may of 2019 there was uh you know because of the backlash of what happened in philadelphia in philadelphia when um two uh, black men were kicked out of a starbucks unreasonably and unjustifiably so um you know because of all this media backlash starbucks decided that they were going to shut down all the stores and they were they were going to do like a diversity training or something like that um and i was there and i thought this was such a great idea and i was really happy that this was like something that you know this progressive company is actually taking its time to listen to us and you know making the stance by shutting down all of its stores and making sure that um 
people are of color are going to get a day to talk about themselves and hopefully that this was something that was going to continue and that this was something that was you know like our um, voices weren't just going to get lost in this and they were like one day that one day was enough to make the public believe that they're a progressive company yeah. <laughs> apparently that um but after that day it was never talked about again i was super disappointed um it was kind of like everything that they were trying to do it was just, it was just very obvious to me that it was a performative activism mm -hmm. and um yeah it, it like they would do those things they would say like um for example when we got our black lives matter t-shirts that the that starbucks gave to all the um everyone in the company mm -hmm. it was in response to I think it was a BuzzFeed article that had exposed Starbucks for um, for banning their baristas from um, wearing anything that said Black Lives Matter. And this was after 2019. This was after they had shut down all the stores. This was something where they had, um, you know, had said, oh, no, we're going to really take into account the people who are uh, of color in, like, the Black Lives like at this point, Black Lives Matter hadn't happened, but they would they would say, you know, everyone's experience is important, and they shut down all these stores because of um, the injustices injustices happening in the Black community. And yet, they did the same thing again in 2020, and it was like there was so much there that just made it very obvious that, um, once again, performative activism. Like, oh, they said, oh, we made a mistake, and here's some free T-shirts for everybody. Um, they don't actually care, so. <laughs> Um, they, what they cared about was their public image and um, their PR team did their best to, you know, I guess, fix that up. Um, and I guess they don't care about that so much right now without, like, I guess, just attacking the people who are trying to form a union and attacking us as like some third party, even though I had worked with the company for seven years and I started off with this company really, you know, appreciating its values. And yet I am still this third party, this weird, faceless person trying to ruin like Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and something I'm also hearing in what you're saying is that th there is a level of. It's not it's all one or the other, you know, Starbucks, I guess, can be a company that that does i guess care about where its beans are coming from it can also be an employer that is manipulative at the same time like these are sort of they can be held at at the same level right or uh, i don't know um yeah i mean i i mean it is interesting the way that they had um because they had to do it what i had to do was a uh like read this kind of like textbook for when I had um, been doing the coffee master program where they had talked about their beans and how they only have one type of coffee that's fair trade because that because they said that all the other um, coffees don't have to be fair trade because Starbucks' system is just so much better than fair trade that they can just um, rely on that system. And now because I know Starbucks, I am not 100% sure how much I trust it. But I mean, they do have the Italian um, coffee beans are fair trade. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense that, it, that, that the experience itself can of, of um, all this manipulation and, and unfair practices could sort of sour any 
any trust in the company, right? Yes. Yes, it could. So, you know, you mentioned that you have you worked for uh, Chris Topics for seven years um, and that I guess you became politically active or, or active in union organizing. Um, would it be five years in or say, I don't know, when, when did you sort of become active? Um, like six years in. Like, I didn't know anything really about it until, like, December. I mean, like, I I've heard, I had heard about it when um, um, when Buffalo announced their uh, union campaign in August. And the only time I heard about it before was when one of my coworkers had said to me, don't ever say union at Starbucks because they will fire you so fast. And at that time, it, like, completely went over my head because I was like, what is that? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to get back to work. But... <laughs> Um, uh, but then when I started like just, you know, when I really started getting into it, it wasn't until like December and like there had, it hadn't just been me. There were talks about it already happening. Um, yeah. And so, so I'm interested to understand as you, so, so, so you grew into this, this activism and this or awareness of the need for a union um and that was through 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 a lot of a lot of re i mean it was through experience but then you also ended up reading a lot too yeah <laughs> yes i had to do um i had to do a lot of you know reading i reached out to the union like a, a person from the union and I talked to her for like, I think almost two hours just about my experience. And like, she told me what it is that a union is. Um, then I had um, also talked to other people who also uh, told me what they knew about it. I had, I knew at the time, like, um, there was, I think, like, some type of like, like interview or, um, video with like bernie sanders and some people from buffalo and i watched that to understand really what it is um on top of that like during our campaign i had read you know the united the, the uh, workers united constitution i had printed out the nlra like the law completely and then i i printed out the summary uh of the nlra act and i highlighted everything i I made sure to do like little post-it notes and like I color coded all of these things and I um I just wanted to be as educated as possible because I didn't want this to be anything that um like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing and I wanted to make sure of that that this would be something that would be beneficial for us and uh and I still believe it would be. Yeah, and c can you sort of walk me through then the the process that led from you know when you began to sign up, sign cards and stuff up to um, I guess now like what 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 was what, that story I guess? Sure. So in December is when I had um um I'm sorry sorry <laughs> but um. Let me think. So in December is really when I had started talking to people about it. Um, I had, before really talking to any of my coworkers, had done my own research. I had um, talked to a, a person from the union. And then I had heard in the back room 
after Buffalo had already won, hey, when are we going to get these benefits? When are these benefits going to hit? And um, I kind of found a chance to be like, hey, you know that in order to have a union, we had like in order to be a unionized store and to get like benefits like those, like about like and you know ask for the benefits uh with starbucks we would have to have our own union campaign and um and i i told this to one person in particular and then this person kind of and i i I told them you know this is something that we should keep quiet for now and i want to make sure like you know we're all going to be like really careful about it and he said no, it's okay. I know these other two people on the floor. Called them both over. The store was empty at this time, thank God, because he yelled in like the middle of the floor, hey, do you guys want to be part of the union? You guys would vote yes, right? <laughs> and I was just like, I just said we have to be quiet. It was it was really funny, like in hindsight. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they both had uh, those two people. So the four of us at that time had agreed about... Um, uh, what uh union would do for us like in, the, in every question that they had i had answered because i had done some research at this time because the um these people wanted to know like what is it what would it mean for us and all this and i you know as um honestly as i could and as much as i could i explained everything that i knew and um so there were four yeses at that time and then i kept talking to people and this one person in particular was super interested in um in unionizing and um they were a pretty quiet person so it was so interesting how like active they were and they ended up being like one of the most resourceful people throughout this like organized committee i mean this organizing like campaign and um so they were on my organizing committee and they got this one other person to be on my organizing committee also. And so it was the three of us. And as we continued to talk to everyone in the store, um, we had realized that everyone had already said yes. Everyone was um, willing to um, join the union and join this, um, like the, uh, was willing to join the union. Um, so a month later we asked for union cards and we started signing and I think I had them all signed within like a week and like three days after I received my um, last union card we went public with our campaign so um, on February 10th we went public and that is when I think upper management and like just the management just direct directly to uh that worked with us like our like our store manager and the district manager had known about it on i believe from um, what i believe is was february 10th so um i think everyone was a little nervous we were like the first batch we were with the first batch of people unionizing in downstate New York. So I think we had like a couple New York city stores, including the roastery. We had like a Brooklyn store and then there was us in long Island. We were kind of far away from everyone, but um, I mean, it was a, a powerful moment. I think it was, um, I felt like, you know, we were finally going to be able to have our voices heard 
And um, this wasn't something that they could just simply ignore us, but I knew that they were going to try to um, union bust. And I was definitely right. <laughs> so on February 11th, that's when management started pulling us to the side privately and started talking about, you know, like what a union is and like the benefits that we could possibly lose. And, you know, as time kept going, they would say things like, um, you know, you're unionizing. It's like gambling away all of your benefits. And, um, and then they would, you know, like they would retaliate against me. I remember I almost got written up for putting the sticker on the wrong side of the cup, which was, ridiculous my hours got cut um because I was a full-time worker and I my hours got cut almost like around like five to ten hours weekly which was a lot for me like I couldn't survive and it was very difficult to um but then um you know time kept going and you know they were um being you know uh like the workers were being intimidated and it's a lot easier to believe people who are in power. Um, so, unfortunately, their tactics worked at our store. And we lost our um, union five to six on, I think, what was it, on May 3rd. And then afterwards, you know, there really wasn't that good of a uh, relation with me and management. Um, I was still getting retaliated against. Um, they had written me up for like different latenesses, even though they were super forgiving of other people. And, um, and like, even then, like throughout, like through the months that I got fired, that my manager would still like say things like, Oh, we don't need a union to like people. Um, and it would be sometimes just out of nowhere, like no one would have been talking about it. And she would just be like, oh, like, oh, why didn't you just talk to me about this issue? Like, we don't need a union. It would it would be kind of strange. And I didn't really know, <laughs> like, that she was still, like, really doing this until she actually did it in front of me. And I was like, why would you be telling me this? Like, I don't believe you, obviously. Like, that's a belief that's not going to change for me. Um but then um, on July 5th, what had happened was that I had uh, lost the keys to the store. I was the main opener. And being the main opener, I had the keys to open the store every day. Um, and I think I had, so the month before, I had been in a car accident. And I had been... Uh, using a rental and I had just switched over rentals and I'm not sure what happened with the key whether it was loose or not but I had um not had it on me and I had told my manager like immediately I had called everyone um to see if I could get a key to get into the store to open the store because I mean like at that at that time the most important thing for me was making sure that these customers like it, it's profits right so it's that these sales were still going to happen. Um, and basically I told the manager right away. And then three weeks later on July 27th, she 
fired me for not telling her that the key remained lost like I had told her immediately but she said I didn't tell her it was still lost and that um, because she found it two days later right next to her desk or like right like by her desk or something like this she didn't tell me about it it was like another barista that told me even that she had found it um so she said that I hadn't told her that my key still remained lost even though I had initially told her it was lost and then she cited me for a bunch of different latenesses and then when I looked at my time card the latenesses were all for five minutes longer and it was just very ridiculous like I was like so you're going to uh fire me for things that are that just kind of make no sense like we were able to get into the store we were able to um get everything done I was able to open the next day and like the uh the problem was that I didn't tell her that the key remains lost even though she should have been well aware because I had initially told her that it was and um and then the the citing me for the three minute latenesses was um ridiculous um but she had I mean she had also just been trying to look at any latenesses that I that were happening like on my end I remember one time there was uh one of my openers who had so like when someone is late what happens is like someone else can write in the book to say that they were on time if they were there before the other person and she had written in that she had been in on time at 5 30 even though I had clocked in at 5 31 so it was very obvious that um that they were trying to penalize me for one minute latenesses and they were just trying to find anything to fire me so uh when the key situation happened it was uh like a perfect opportunity for them but even then it was very choppy and it kind of didn't make a lot of sense um I mean I have known other people to have lose keys and then um not get fired It, it was just um uh ridiculous honestly Um, you know, that sounds just like an incredibly traumatic experience. I mean, to, to, to lose one's job and also to, um, lose it in a way that I would imagine even further confirms sort of all the, the pain and suspicion you had, you had about Starbucks. Um, I want to ask you know so so we were talking about the way that um you know your employer might pretend to show love like you're you're a partner or whatever or something like that until you're until you're not um but i would imagine that you know there also is there is real love there's real love between coworkers there's real love between people organizing together um so you know what was I would imagine that there must have been, you know, a process of 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 mourning or of 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 sort of dealing dealing with the pain of this. Did, were you able to sort of come together with with your coworkers on that? You know, uh, like I liked going into work. It was I liked my coworkers. It was um, they were we were all pretty new to each other, but I had never. Um, I really thought of them in like any 
I guess, just off-putting way or anything. It was, um, we had a lot of fun. We used to put on, like, Disney songs and, like, just sing them, like, while uh, while we were working or, like, in between just moments of, like, uh, when there was a lull in the amount of customers we were getting. So, um, and that kind of was still true even after everything happened for with certain people where I was just able to be closer. But because, like, the... Um, management decided that I was this problem that needed to be like um, you know completely vilified Um, I did lose like um, some comfortability with some of the co-workers I did have and there were some people who just um, didn't really talk to me and then blamed me it was very it was um, kind of weird It, it was I was like put in this position where I had to be the one to kind of mend relationships with everyone else while they were um kind of excused from doing this and but but still it was like this like weird amount of like blame placed on me like I was doing this disservice to everyone when uh, this obviously was not true and these were never my intentions my intentions were to make sure that our voices were heard that we had workers rights that we weren't at will employees and that we had the ability to have a contract with starbucks about our wages about our rights and um i'm i don't really think it's um and I don't think it's their fault, and I don't, um, and even throughout this entire process, though, it was very difficult to, like, kind of just separate, um, you know, this, the situation of what was happening. It was really difficult because I just didn't want to, um, offend anyone, and by, like, saying less, I, it seemed like I was offending more, um, so, I don't know, I, I don't blame them, really, for, um for like for some people for the way they treated me there is like um i mean some of the things <laughs> that that happened were kind of intense um but overall i kind of understood why they would like if their livelihoods are being threatened their ability to um their security was being threatened. Their ability to live and provide for their families was being threatened. Um, they were afraid. And when in fear, people react the way they do. And I really can't be mad at anyone for that except for uh, the people in charge who made that happen. So um, I don't really think about my coworkers as like I don't think about them any more than I would like victims they're just victims of a situation that had happened but um and like I said it's completely not their fault um but it it was really difficult for that shift to happen um because like I said I did enjoy working with them um and still true for some people i still keep in contact with some people and um and with my old co-workers i mean like uh the co-workers i had over the last seven years there were so many people who when i was like fired who like reached out to me and said why would they fire you um or who were defending me because they knew who i was they knew um that if anyone was to say anything it would probably be me because i don't know when to stop <laughs>
<laughs> but um, but it it's never something with like bad intentions. I always have good intentions, um, or at least most of the time. I assume I'm I'm also human. So <laughs> so um, so I had a lot of people who I used to work with who were really supportive of me, and others who were like just like I didn't even know like some of my old co-workers were like keeping track of like the news and everything until like someone else would tell me later or like someone else would like the person who actually uh, told me don't ever say union at Starbucks because you will be fired so fast they also texted me during that time and said you know I just saw like you you on the news and I just want to say I'm super proud of you and um, it was like moments like that where I was just like, I'm going to keep going because I know I'm doing the right thing. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a bit everywhere. Like the people who had known me and who I like already had this like uh, like a longer term relationship with, like working with me, knew about like um, knew I wouldn't do this to harm anyone. But the people who were at this store uh, were easily tricked to say that I was this horrible person, even though it's, I, 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 at least I don't believe it's true. I don't think I'm a horrible person for wanting a union um, at all. I just think they were victims of the situation. And, you know, what you say reminds me of something that I think was brought up at the the talk that, that, that uh, you were at, I think, two weeks ago, the Utopia 13 or 313 seminar, um, where someone said that management can turn workers against each other, and, and, and essentially that, that you can, it's very easy maybe to feel angry for someone not supporting the union, but the actual root cause of it, like you said, is actually something above it. There's, there's, there's a group above it. Um, Sometimes it's hard to remember that, but it's um, it's super important to remember that it's we are um, it's a lot easier to make like people who are um, it's a lot easier for management to manipulate us into thinking that we are each other's problem and that we are the reason and the cause when it's not us. And I feel like this is like something that we are constantly tricked into that the problem is like your other coworker that your prob like the reason why you didn't get a break today is because your coworker called out instead of being like oh hey the reason I couldn't get my break today isn't because my coworker call called out it's because management didn't have enough people on the staff we were not scheduled properly so we missed out um, or I missed out you know. Um, but they do this thing of like pitting people against each other and it's um it's an it, it gives you know this um it gives starbucks this leverage it gives them like this oh you see it's their problem and it's your problem because of them it's not us it's never us yeah. um, you mentioned the experience of of being understaffed which of course is is such a something that everyone so many workplaces deal with these days um i would be interested to hear what that experience what was like you know working at a starbucks um at a rush hour i imagine can just be uh 
a truly like working on a conveyor belt, like working on an assembly line almost. Right. I mean, what, 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 what is, what is that experience? So I remember something from like my first year at Starbucks where someone said like, oh, you're not a real barista until you cry on the floor. And like, and this was after like, I was, it was so busy and I was messing up so much and I was so new and I was just like, and I like completely broke down on the floor because some man was like demanding something that was really not that big of a deal, but it was, um, but it was stressing me out so much, but, um, but when it comes to being understaffed, it was, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I remember one of the worst moments I had, thankfully, like, had I been a new barista at this time, I would have definitely been flipping out. But because I was experienced at the time, I had been like five or six years in at this time. And, um, and because at this moment, I guess, like, I was so used to, like, being understaffed and so used to, um, expecting the worst from my shifts that I um I wasn't very surprised we had two brand new people on the floor myself as the barista and then one shift supervisor at a very busy drive-thru or at least the this hour of this drive-thru was very very busy so I remember having to uh, ring up the orders and like run and put stuff in the oven or grab things from the person at the oven and make the drinks and um, hand it to the person at the window to make sure they were like, um, um, you know, giving it to the customers because our new people could only really do two things at that moment. And that was be on the oven and put things into the oven or be at the window and just hand stuff out. And I guess like unless you're on the floor you don't or like or if you've ever worked at Starbucks I guess you don't really realize how difficult it is because then the shift supervisor at the time had a time limit because now you also have these timed um you have to have these things done like the order or, or I'm not sure what he was doing at like a certain time and I was alone with just these two brand new people who didn't know what they were doing and out of no fault of their own, even though they were right out of training because the training wasn't great. Their training was not something that was, um, that I would consider training at all. It was kind of like, okay, we'll survive. Um, and like we were constantly put in situations where there was only like three of us on the floor in the middle of like a rush. And I like at one point, like especially during the union like campaign, there was there was like these couple of shifts that I had that were just like me and like a couple other people. And it was so busy and I didn't have enough staff. And I almost thought that this was on purpose. But but to be honest, it it, it was pretty apparent throughout my entire time at Starbucks where we were constantly short staffed. It was uh, it was very difficult, very overwhelming. I remember being on the bar looking at like just taking tickets out, ticket after ticket after ticket. And I remember looking at the clock, like wanting to look at the clock and being like, if it's not almost time for me to go, I'm going to be so disappointed. So I just avoided looking at the clock. It was so like um, it was very intense. And then on top of like and. I also like the customers, you know, are expecting like um, a level of service and a level of like, um, you know, just um, efficiency. And if you're understaffed, you really can't provide that, but you do your best. And um, 
it it becomes like really stressful, kind of traumatic. Like we used to joke about, like, oh my gosh, I'm like getting flashbacks to this day. <laughs> um, but um, like you know, this particular day when it was crazy and we only had like four people or like three people, and um, yeah, no, it is not fun. It's very stressful, and it's uh, like I I remember this one lady who was a nurse like who was a retired nurse she was like i would never be able to do what you guys do and i was just like "Eh, this is a bit of an exaggeration (laughs) because i don't know she she did a lot but um yeah no not a lot of fun but those things really do bring you together with your coworkers. one thing one thing you mentioned was the experience of working with with younger employees um, who had just joined, and you know, I'm I'm very interested because I imagine you you had worked there for a while, so you were probably someone who they would look to to know how to do a lot of the things that a, that, that that a barista has to do. Um, but at the same time, I'm interested what it was like juggling that work with also once you became active as, as an organizer, the kind of work of, of, um, of educating people about the union, you know, what was it like to sort of be a, a double train? I mean, did you feel like that, like a double trainer in some ways? Um, I guess in some ways, like at the time when I was, uh, a union, uh, I guess I was organizing one of the, the main people in my store, um, in the union campaign, I had um, been a shift supervisor at the time, but I had also been a a barista trainer since like my first year in. Um, so, actually, I think some people really loved training and some people really hated it. And I always really loved training because um, it kind of just reminded me of what I was like when I first started and it's a really confusing process you have to memorize like so many different recipes and it's so difficult and on top of that you're like doing you know x like like you have to go and go clean this and remember how to do that and um it's a really stressful time so if I could have made it easier for anyone um um it was really I really like doing that I mean uh, I guess in the beginning, like this wasn't always true, but um, but towards the end, when once I realized that, um, like it's never simple. I mean, like I guess some people picked it up faster than others, but um, um, it, it took a lot of time to just be comfortable in the position. So I guess I was just always very um, empathetic to it because I remember I took a while to get used to in the position. It wasn't um. It wasn't like an automatic snap of the fingers. I was so good at it. So um, doing this at the same time that I was um, that I was organizing um, wasn't really, I guess, that big of a an issue for me. With the like, because I just felt like they were two separate things. Um, because no matter what, like, if you had asked me for help, I would have helped. Um, I think there was like one situation where there was this one person who was really mad at me for like not helping her because she like needed help and I just didn't read her mind about it. And I guess that was the only like real problem that had ever happened with someone who was new 
but then i mean after she blew up even the dm kind of agreed with me that she needed to ask for help <laughs> because that's what like like it in like every store i actually have kind of um every store i've worked at like if you need help you need to ask for it um so um i mean i never had um this was my job my job was to make sure that everyone in my shift everyone who i worked with knew what they were doing um and i wanted to make sure that was true so um because it just makes the experience easier for everyone so if everyone knows what they're doing and how to do this and just really how to be comfortable within their own position it just makes for an easier uh, working experience so um doing that was something i was already used to the organizing was new <laughs> so um so i would you know do my best to be like hey so like this is what starbucks is like and this is like you know they're they're this um company that you know pretends they're progressive but they're really not and um either way you know it even says in the book our partner guy that we're at will employees and i think that a union would just make us you know be not at will employees that we would have like actual job security and um i would just kind of just start talking about you know um what a union could do for us and um like i said initially this was working like we talked about it for a month it wasn't like we talked about it for a day and then the next day we were signing cards um we talked about it for a while and then even throughout the process we were still talking about it but then you know some people started to uh, step back from it because they were afraid and i think fear was really um the reason we lost and um that was thanks to management um but doing my job as a trainer was not anything that was different for me it was just the organizing that was new and that was uh that that was interesting it was a little nerve-wracking sometimes because i had known that um management was saying you know these things about me so i knew some people already were coming in with this like opinion about me even with like the people who were like hired during like i mean like right after our um our union vote um that there might have already been this kind of like idea about me uh, but regardless for anyone who had questions for anyone who needed help I did my, what I could and you say fear is what what caused the, the, the loss was, was fear um, and I, I'd love to ask just a bit about that you know I mean I well, to start with, were did you feel afraid? Did you feel afraid? Because you obviously kept going, <laughs> but did you feel afraid? Yes. So actually, the week that we had, um, the week that we went public with our union campaign, I think it must have been like three days before or something like that, we had heard that uh, the Memphis 7 had all been fired. So seven people in Memphis, all union leaders in their stores, in their store, um, fired. And I remember thinking to myself, am I doing the right thing? Not because um, I didn't believe in the union, but is it 
worth risking the job security of like different people like or of myself because i relied on this job for an income i the flexibility that starbucks presented me helped me with you know um being able to help you know take care of my niece who um i used to i like helped raise basically i like um the only reason i was even up in great neck is because we were like she had switched schools and needed to go to a school or closer to that uh to that area so um it was a scary experience but i kind of looked at what was more important and had I not not done it, I felt like I would have been super just I would have been very disappointed at myself. Like I um, felt that this was important enough to do. And had I um, lost my job um, doing it, then I, I guess that's what was going to happen. Um, I mean, also, I mean, that being said, there was like a level of privilege there because I had like a backup i had like um um i had known that had i lost my job even though it would have not been easy i would have still you know had a roof over my head so or i've had like like familial help so um which might have not been true for everyone in the store or like some people were like you know people who had just been like uh coming to the store after like being off work for like a period of time so that also like is what helped me realize that it's not anyone in my store's fault like like people have different um reasons to why they felt like they needed this job security that they that was being threatened from them um so um when it came to fear yeah i did i did have a bit of fear but um to me it was more important to keep going This might be a ridiculous question, but so so you had fear, which of course isn't a negative emotion. But you know what what were the the positive emotions that were sort of most associated with working working with the union? Um, I felt like there were people who were finally listening. They were finally listening to what I was saying. There were people who were like, um, who said, "You know what? I hear you, and I understand." And this is what you can do. It was kind of like they were. Um, I. I. It, it felt like I was being validated, and you know, it wasn't the. They were giving me an answer that would help. Um, not even not protect just myself, but the people who I work with. Um, and it wasn't like. Like they were solving all these problems for me, but it was just a collaborative effort with the people in my store and with all of us and how we would be able to negotiate our contract and how we would be able to talk about, um, you know, the things that mattered the most to us and how those things would like having a union would protect those things for us. So um, it, it felt empowering. It felt um, validating. And. Um, I, and I guess I think one of the biggest things for me was uh, the sense of community. Like once I was fired, there were people right away who helped me from the Queen store and um, even even like and then others, of course, also, you know, um, from the area also chimed in and um, and 
you know, even when I felt like alone, I just didn't because I even though these people weren't in my store, like I always felt like um, they were like just like, you know, like a text message away. I like I could write it in a group chat and um, they are all people who have gone through similar experiences. So being part of the union was just even um, outside of my own store, just a collaborative effort and a community effort. So it was um, it, it was a really good experience and it still is like I still have contacted people from the union, even though we were not a um, unionized store because we had um, uh, made an objection with the NLRB right after we had the loss. So um, I still had hope and I still have hope that um, Great Neck um, the Starbucks in Great Neck will be a unionized store. But, um, yeah, I mean, everyone was super resourceful and very kind, and it was just a very uplifting, positive experience working with Workers United, Starbucks Workers United, and the people of the unionized stores in the area. So on a on a wide question of of, of this growing union movement that we've noticed in the last uh you know three four years um it's interesting that starbucks and starbucks workers have have been at the forefront among other groups you know of course there's the great amazon victory there's rei which is fighting for for union but i wonder if if you have any thoughts about why starbucks you know why do why do why might it be Starbucks? I always I, I I try to figure out that would um be such a place where people could come together for to 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 form unions. I mean, um, part of representing yourself as a progressive company is you're going to get a progressive um. Uh, community working for you you're going to get progressive minds very most of the time liberal minds um uh, obviously there's obviously there's a whole spectrum of people that work at starbucks but uh, the majority of us were pretty liberal or um pretty open-minded i mean like i said not always but um i think it's it's going to be starbucks because um we, I guess, just understand our experience. We understand what it means to be exploited at work. And we understand that um, this, like, I guess, tactic of profits over people are just, um, uh, that we're the ones suffering from this. There's not really any care for the workers that, you know, are there every day. Like, like I remember talking with, I think, my RM, and they said, like, they were like, I put on this, you know, they, they said they tried to put on this, like, uh, apron and put themselves on the floor. You know, it was really hard to take the cheese off an impossible breakfast sandwich. And when, um, and I think this is, like, what management and, like, even people, like, like higher up in the company think is what the problems are, that it's just hard to do the job or that we're like whiny or whatever but uh, the real issue is that we are understaffed that we are like um sometimes we're hurt or injured or sick and we still have to come into work um 
I remember, what was it, like, recently one of the workers, she had, like, there was one time where this one kid I worked with had burned herself and I sent her home because been there, done that, it hurts. It's so difficult to work through that pain. And I had done it. I had finished a whole entire shift with my hand so beat red with the skin feeling like my blood felt like it was boiling. Um, and I continued to work because I was not sent home because there was no training in place to say that, you know, I shouldn't have um, been working um, because management just doesn't care about this because had I left, it would have been harder to make a profit. We just didn't have enough people. And um, having that experience and knowing what it was like to be in that kind of pain, I sent this person home. The next time she had burned herself, I was not there. And it said the manager was. And apparently had told her, don't think you're going home because of that. They don't, like, they they think we're, like, whiny or, like, we're um, not worth being um, told to go home when we're in pain. Like, I, I am pretty sure that kid still has, like, a scar from being um burned but it didn't matter like and so much so many of the times like we realize um at least for us i think we were we're coming to realize especially because of the pandemic i think that was really like the catalyst to this movement um that why should we come in to work for a company that does not care for us why should we not be given the same level of as of respect we should have, um, we should be treated as people. Like, I think it's unfair that we're tr being treated as like machine, like, like, I, I guess cogs in a machine and then like being replaced whenever we are not being useful. Yeah. So, um, I think people are, you know, fed up. I think they realize that, um, they deserve a living wage, especially in New York. Um, and that we deserve just to have our basic needs met. And I think that's like the biggest thing for me. It's like we are asking for the most basic things and for you not to want to have those in like, you know, a contract in writing and uh, for you not to want to honor um, job security. It, it's really telling of you as a company. Um, so I guess I'm not really sure if I answered the question. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> I think that's a great, great answer. Um, there is a, I read an article recently about an issue that is happening at Starbucks and a couple of other retail places where as a result of online ordering and TikTok actually uh, present, um, people will come in asking for these drinks with 12 substitutions or, you know, these drinks that are very, very specially, specially made. Um, and that, that this is much less than, of course, getting your hand burnt, but that that can create this situation in which you feel like a you feel like a computer putting together all these different all these different recipes and stuff like that. Um, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Is this just is this completely I, random? I 100% know what you're talking about. Um, I guess an important thing to remember, especially at a drive-through store, I worked at a drive-through store for um, about three years. We had, from the time the person placed in their order, 
I know, from the time the person who placed in their order got to the window, we had 40 seconds to make sure that their drinks were made. So, like, um, anything over, I think, 40 seconds was ideal, and then anything after, like, 55 seconds was, like, you were taking too long. Um, and then it would, like, average out. And um, when it came to things like the TikTok drinks with the 12 substitutions, and it's not something that can be automatically made because now you have to, like, stop and, like, look at this list of stuff. And if you're not making this in an X amount of time, you're going to be penalized. They're going to be like, what's taking so long? And then, like, um, you know, eventually you could, like, like you're made to feel bad like you're the problem like oh my god why is this person taking so long when it's really just like this one person ordered like this drink with like like i don't know 12 pumps of syrup and like like 22 exact ice cubes and i don't know what else like it just <laughs> it became such a stressful situation and um and and honestly, like Starbucks had said, I think um, a couple of years ago that they were going to change the recipes to make some things easier. So they took some stuff out of the menu, but it was the things that were easy to make. And I didn't understand why they would do that. And they kept the things that were di more difficult. And then on top of that, they would um, like, like recently they added like cold foam, which is delicious. I love the cold foam, but it, it takes like, what is it like 15 seconds or 10 seconds and then you're trying to make the drink while that's going. And then it takes up time. The frappuccinos take up time and they want you to make this all under 40 seconds. And like, I think every single time we get a frappuccino, we just kind of want to like burst. <laughs> we are so like, and I think we all like frappuccinos before we start working at Starbucks. And by the time we're there, we're like, we hate it. We hate it so much because it's so time consuming. And every single time it's so time consuming. Um, you know, you get, um, you get in trouble for taking too long. The customers get upset that it's taking forever, but it's like because the there are these items that just take longer. And then and which is like understandable. I mean, like if I'm ordering a um a frappuccino at Starbucks, I want a made right, obviously. Um so I mean like at least I always did my best to make sure that it was made to standard. And then which also causes a problem because if you're making it to standard, you're taking more time. If you're not making it to standard and you're kind of just um, either like just free pouring or not doing it exactly right. And and then you're giving um, a customer a subpar quality of a drink, but you did it in under like, you know, you did it in 30 seconds. Oh, you're like a superstar. It, it makes yeah. no sense. And it really does create a problem for um, just the customers and for the baristas. And um, it just puts unrealistic, ex um, I'm sorry, unrealistic expectations on us. And what makes some things worse is I've had some managers who would um, take like frappuccinos off of the secret menu and place them on like our menu, like next to it or like by the register or on the drive-through, um, on the drive-through box. And so now on top of um, on, on top of these like already just our standard drinks that are time consuming now we're doing um like these secret menu drinks that are also very time consuming and even more so because we don't know the recipe we have to be reading off of a list to get all of this ready and 
um, and they still have to make it in under 40, 45 seconds. So um, it's it was, and it's super dif difficult. And like these managers were kind of expecting us to live up to these expectations when they were just impossible without cheating. I mean, it, it must be very difficult as a barista to be both a someone who's who's making food but then you're you're the food person and also the customer service person at the same time right yes i think it's actually more difficult when you're on bar okay yeah because on top of you making drinks and you're like trying to the the goal mm -hmm. is always to be making two drinks at a time so you always want to make sure you have two drinks in your hand wow and um Imagine doing that while someone is yelling at you over the bar and not only on top of like trying to, um, you know, focus on the drinks that you have. And some of them might be like this 12, like substituted ordered drink. Um, and then this one person is yelling at you about like, is this my drink? <laughs> about like a tall cappuccino, even though they ordered like a venti ice green tea. So, um... It, or, like, they will be, like, trying to tell you how to make their drink while you're, like, like doing 200 different things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, or, like, the the person, like, if the person, like, messed up or, like, by accident, like, you know, accidentally, like, misheard at the register, the person who would normally um, get the brunt of all that was the person on bar who was making the drinks because they would, people would be like, oh, you didn't make my drink correctly. Um, you know, like, I wish, like... Um, or like they would they would just be very I guess combative with the person on bar um, who is like having to do so much and they're sweating and they're um, that's what makes it like when we're short staffed so much more difficult because there's no one talking to the customer the person the person who the customer goes to is normally the person on bar who is already doing a million different things mm -hmm. um, and so on top of having to like listen to orders, because like in the drive-thru, you also want to make sure as soon as the person starts talking, you start doing their order to make sure you get that 40 seconds in. So like you're not even waiting for the sticker to print out your, as soon as you start hearing it, you're starting it. And then on top of hearing that, to have someone else talk over to you who's not in your ear, who's like, like yelling at you over the counter about who knows what, about um, their drink, um, it becomes a very overwhelming experience. It was like like a complete like sensory overload <laughs> all the time. Um, it was very difficult to manage. And I mean, it's it's different, but I can imagine that that also adds to the feeling that this is so crazy that I I want security in some way at least to have the, the job security, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, a lot of it was also, like, we just wanted to make sure we got our breaks. Like, there were so many times, like, especially because we were so short-staffed over, like, the last, um, when I first started working at this newer store where I just didn't get my 30-minute break. It was just impossible. And a lot of the times I remember hearing the shifts, like, who I worked with previously when I was a barista being like, it was so impossible for me to get my break. I just worked throughout my break. And it was, it, it was very much like, why do I need to give up the 30 minutes that I have yeah. of unpaid 
like 30 minutes unpaid working for free because there's just not enough resources in the store to make sure that I can have these 30 minutes of a break. Um, and I mean, it didn't happen all the time. I mean, like for me, at like at some point I was just like, I need to make sure I'm taking my break because I shouldn't work for free and this is not okay. But um, when you're so short staffed that there's not enough people on the floor and you're leaving like three people on the floor if you're gone or um, or if someone needs help, like if it's something like that the baristas can't do, like if they need help with a transaction or something that is not available to them, um, then yeah, I have to get off of my break and I have to go and lose that time to go and um, help this person. And it's not really anyone's fault except the companies for not providing enough uh, resources to make sure there are enough people on the floor and and on top of that like if it gets so busy like for short staff and it gets so busy and i have like my person on bar just on top of like because you're not just doing like the orders that come in and you're not just doing mobile orders there's also uber eats so, um, and if it's like for the drive through, like I know there are some drive throughs that also have Uber Eats, which is, I have no idea how those people do it, but, um, like getting drinks from like three different streams of, um, <laughs> of like tickets, it's, it's so difficult because you want to prioritize the people that are there, like in front of you first, if you're in a cafe store. But in a drive-through store, you have to prioritize the um, the the people who are driving in the the drive-through. You have to prioritize that because you only have forty seconds, and um, and either way, it it like creates this kind of um, way where we just don't have the ability to do these things. And there always has to be like at least two people on the bar, and sometimes that's just not even enough. Yeah. Um. It really becomes like sometimes it becomes like an impossible task and I can completely understand how burnt out these people get. Like in my last store, people were a lot better at asking when they wanted to get off a bar. They were a lot better at being like, hey, I need to get out. But a lot of the times in my other stores, they felt pressured to stay on. They felt pressured to be like, um, no, I have to be here. I have to be like doing this like i need to be able to show that i can do this um and it was like a different type of pressure um i mean some people also just preferred being on the bar because sometimes it was just a lot easier to get lost in that kind of like work than i hated being the person on register because it was the same thing over and over and over again whereas the bar was i guess a little more you're doing a little more uh, moving it's a little more activity and um it's less boring but it's also the most stressful i guess it's different per person on like what they um like to do the most but um yeah all these over i mean like all these experiences are kind of like um they're ubiquitous across all starbucks stores they're uh like like your bar person is literally the person who is getting the most pressure you always have to have two drinks in your hand. I just, which makes sense. Like it, it becomes um, an efficiency thing, but you're also having to do everything to standard. And that's why like, like cheating happens a lot. Um, I don't know. It's just a pretty unfair system a lot of the times. And I, I wonder, um, you know, the experience of the bar person 
um, the experience of the crush, of, of having to cheat sometimes, of, of doing things to code. I would imagine all of that is not, I think you say, not just at one store, but it's a thing that is kind of a general Starbucks experience. Um, you know, as you got involved in Starbucks Workers United, did you find that there was that sense of, of solidarity? I mean, of course there was solidarity, I would imagine, but that there was a sense of, oh yeah, you know, you were in uh, even a different state or you're in a different location, but you know what it, what, what it was like, I guess, for someone else. Yeah, I think it's pretty true across like all the stores. And I think without even like saying it, um, we know what the experience is like. Like I remember we had been uh, canvassing with like different people um, and the people in my group were from uh, like Washington and uh, maybe upstate and I'm not sure where else. But when we had um, been talking about approaching people, we always had the same reaction to, oh, the bar person is really busy. Let's leave them alone. Like right now, we um, we kind of all understood what like this bar person is going through and how different it would be for the um, for the person on register, how different it is for the person who is, um, you know, running the floor at the time. So um, all these positions are very very stressful but the bar i think being on the bar is like one of the most stressful positions one can have so i think everyone already knows what it's like when if you work at a starbucks you you know you know you know the experience just as a side note you say that you're finishing up school um and you want to go back what sort of areas are you are you interested in so Currently, I am a psychology major, um, and though psychology is something that is important to me, and I do really enjoy it, I'm not sure if this is like the route I want to continue to go on to go in. Or um, I do like learning a lot about like education, um, also, and I'm currently ATA, but. Um, I mean, I guess for me, it's not about being in the classroom and more about like reform. Um, which is more important to me because I feel like there's a lot that needs to be um, fixed within American with the American education system. But um, so that's one of the things I I am now um, newly introduced into unionizing labor movement. So there is that. I was really um, when I was um, in the middle of that campaign, I was also reading some litigation. And, um, and, uh, of course the, 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 I was, uh, I guess I had sent like PDFs over of like different cases to my DM at the time also. So that was actually really interesting, like knowing what my rights were, knowing like also like what, um, what, um, the, what was protected in our state and what was important to know, like just about the law in order to protect ourselves during our time as, um, as organizers was really important. So that was also important to me. Um, and I guess these kind of things are just really, I guess a newer important and things I want to get more into. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, like, I just, I really have no idea what else, but I like, I like a lot of different things, but I'm, I guess just pretty vaguely, like right now, I feel like I'm kind of new into like a lot of different things. Awesome. Um, well, thank you, Jocelyn. Uh, as a last thing here, uh, we are at WKCR FM New York and WKCR HD Studios. Um where we have a great library of records. And as we stepped in, uh, Jocelyn mentioned to me uh, that she loves Billie Holiday. So we have uh, Holiday's Strange Fruit here. And I'd just love to ask you, what does she mean to you? Uh, to me, she's an inspiration, like to, you know, be, um, there was so much in her life that was very difficult that she was going up against and um, music was a way of her to tell her story and I think um, music like across you know centuries and like in forever basically have has been a way to tell stories and just um, you know convey what people are feeling and thinking and and in a way that's digestible to all and um like um, strange fruit in particular is something that just hits the soul very deeply and is just it was a complete eye opener like um when it came to um you know how um uh people were um, african-american people were treated in um, american society and for her to to demand that everyone be quiet while this song played and for that to be respected in the spaces that she existed even though she had to like I'm, I'm sure that for a uh, black woman um, um, at the time it was not easy to um, you know gain this respect but she did and she did it so eloquently and she was such like a marvelous like person um very inspirational and this song is super powerful and um and i just have enormous amounts of respect for her
big body swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar tree.